Hi, this is Bianca. And this is Anna. Your hosts of Girl Talk Monday's podcast, where we discuss the world of fashion, self-confidence, and everything in between. In this new series, we interview inspiring women making a mark in their fields. Whether that be business leaders, CEOs, marketeers, or entrepreneurs, we want to share their success stories with you. In this week's episode, we speak to Zane Zabir, eating psychology coach specializing in eating disorders such as anorexia, bulimia, and binge eating. The conversation begins with her personal story battling anorexia to working in the modeling industry and finding her passion and calling as a psychology coach. We discuss what the usual signs of an eating disorder are, delving into the patterns of perfectionism, control, and trauma as well as how to have a positive body image and self-loving mindset. So tune in to find out how to care for your body from a place of love, practice mindfulness, and face your inner critic. So welcome to Girl Talk Mondays! Thank you so much, Zane, for joining us today. We're really happy to have you and to talk about all things health and eating disorders and problems that affect all of us at some point in our life. Yes, so we thought we'd kick this off and kind of go into your career and your background. So we really wanted to know how you started in the modeling industry and then how you kind of decided to make the move into the coaching area and into the eating disorder coaching field. Yeah, thank you for having me. I always Always a pleasure to share my story and as well as my work, which is part of the story. So modeling, that came quite naturally because we Latvians, which is my uh, original nationality, we are the tallest women I think in the world, or Swedens are the tallest, I don't know. Yeah. But yeah, we, are, we kind of, all, a lot of us are like tall and quite slim, so a lot of models are from Latvia. So that was like, you know, when we were growing up, me and my twin sister, we were constantly asked on the street. So, mm -hmm. and for a long time, because uh, um, for a long time, our mom didn't uh, allow us to go in because we needed to uh, finish school. And I always will be thankful uh, for that to mm -hmm. her because education always goes first. And and then somehow we, uh, we made our way into the modeling and I did it the most because I was, I don't know, a bit taller and I guess, you know, so I, I began modeling after, actually, I did recover from my anorexia, which mm -hmm. is something that usually seems like it should be the other way around, but it isn't, because uh, I developed my eating disorder uh, to, uh, for reasons entirely unrelated to modeling or mm -hmm. body concerns. Mm -hmm. My eating disorder was based around suppressed emotions mm -hmm. and the problems of expressing them, because I was like 14, 15, Mm -hmm. around that age and you know if you if you think back to yourself at that age right or any young people we meet these days it's not the age where you're like that okay so mother and father i have this heartache and this problem you know yeah kids don't do that. young people don't talk about their emotions like that so it's it's no one to blame it's just it's it's but there is a place for growth mm -hmm. to open the space in school for young people to talk more about these issues yeah, but for me, I was a very sensitive child uh, and sensitive young person and teenager. So I had some troubles happening in my life. Uh, with, and eating disorders are a combination of factors. So there are things before. There was a little bit of bullying at school, a little bit of not fitting in. Then the peak that like started off all things was uh, heartbreak. Heartbreak, mm -hmm. like, you know, first love. Mm -hmm. Sounds all nice and romantic today. Mm -hmm. But that yeah. time... <laughs> very very painful yeah it's detrimental and, uh, yeah yeah absolutely and you know i didn't know how to talk about that to mm. others and um and i remember saying this phrase to my best friend at the time i said you have no idea how much my heart aches mm. uh and her response i think was a trigger and i don't blame her but she's just like you know it's young girls talking and she said just what she saw and at the time i was you know tall, blonde, and thin. I was very thin to start with. You could say I looked like the girl on the posters. Mm -hmm. And uh, and my and the, the friend said, I could never imagine you're hurting because you always look so good. And in my mind, was that was, okay, that's it. I need, I'll, I'll show it with my body. Mm -hmm. And in a way, it was um, a conscious decision that I'm gonna somehow show it my body. 
but I will never, but eating disorder is never a conscious decision. You start with, okay, I'm going to go on this diet to show, because I knew I'm thin to start with. If I'm going to go not eat, I'm going to become ugly because I didn't think that's pretty to be bony, gray, and, you know, hair falling out because I think I knew about that because there are some people around me that I saw them experiencing this. Then you start like risking, and this is what a lot of my clients said to talk about to you. You kind of start, there's also a part of control. You couldn't control, yeah. I couldn't control what this guy did. I couldn't control what kids at school did, uh, calling me, you know, names or whatever, because I was tall, and then you, you, you get this, you get called all kinds of names because you're taller than everyone else. And uh, uh, that's interesting. There's no, uh, there's not, no rights in school. If you're that bit different, whether it's, uh, you're curvier or a bit more mm -hmm. overweight on the overweight side or you're too skinny you'll always get bullied so that's just a reminder for some who think that like being the skinniest at school is the best neither that works it's just you know it's, mm -hmm. it's someone tough. will always find something to pick on right yeah. so in a way there is no right answer and uh, so so yeah from, that's how my eating sort of somehow that that's where it origi originated as I somehow need to tell about my story, how I'm feeling on the inside, because no one seems to notice from the outside, you know. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's how that's how, the, that's how that began, the dating soda. And then after I recovered, only then I got into the modeling. And during okay. my years in modeling industries, uh, which was around nine actually, mm -hmm. quite, quite long, um, however, I never went to New York. Or, uh, I had the offers to go to New York, to Paris, all that. I didn't because I had... Uh, uh, I had my education, and my family all all are from, uh, like um, intellectuals. Their the, um, education is very high valued. So, mm -hmm. um, so I, we that's what you did, and I absolutely love the decision today. Mm -hmm. And also, a fun fact was that when I started modeling, I got uh, I met this boy, which oh. was my boyfriend at the time. And I always and I always say to to someone, uh, I, I remember telling this to people like. I got offers to, from New York, quite a lot offered from to go to work to New York, and I I refused because of this boy, uh, and everyone and everyone like laughs at me until I say that he is my husband today. Oh so. my god! <laughs> so you made the right decision, yeah, <laughs> to follow your heart. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Oh, that's such a nice story. Yeah, I like that, and I think it's like. Um, that's cute. I love the story. So you've yeah, been so. together since you were really young, then. Yeah, yeah. Since yeah. since we been, we were seventeen, yeah? yeah. That's when I got into modeling, and because of my past with the uh, the eating disorder. So yeah, during the, my my years in modeling industries, I do remember hearing many careless remarks about my looks, mm. which ranged from she's uglier, so she do the catwalk because I was tall and thin, but the face doesn't matter so much. And wow. to your your have fat cheeks, uh, lose some weight, mm -hmm. which, to be honest, it's never been true for me. It's mm -hmm. it's, it's extreme standards, you know. Um, of course, it will like I see myself today, and I know it's not true. I kind of knew it's not true at that time, but you know, you're a child. I think that comment, uh, she's ugly, or she'll do the catwalk. That was that was the first comment I got when I got into modeling. So, it's terrible. Fun fact. It's crazy. And it is horrible, isn't it? Yeah. And obviously not true. <laughs> That's self-confidence that comes with time. Exactly. Yes, yeah, so I received all these comments. It wasn't nice, but because of my uh, past with the eating disorder, the anorexia that I had. That I had I've done quite a lot of coaching work uh, on myself and therapy work, mm -hmm. so uh, that has helped me to build like self confidence and also like resilience skills and also skills how to talk with myself in the moment when I feel very down. So I never talked with nutritionists, which is an interesting part. But mm -hmm. I, because of my recovery from eating, so I knew nutritional part of things. Mm -hmm. um, so I also knew how to take care of my body. Because to, to like to be in shape for modeling, but also to be healthy, because to, to be honest, there is a way. Yeah. And so those years in modeling, they were not nice. I would say that. I never really liked it. I always liked to work with my mind more than with my body. But you know, you're young, you need a cash, so you do yeah. it. <laughs> right? Oh, wow, yeah. And so I did some nine years, and, and once and for all, I decided that's it, I'm going full, full on psychology studies and all that. And I also kind of wanted to leave the all the appearance-based perception of myself behind me because, you know, there's always something like 
if I if I encourage people to look inside, that's what I need to do, and that's to be honest, that's what I've always felt. I think. I hear a lot of that though from people who have started in the modeling industry. It's not as glam as people think. It's not as enjoyable as people think. I think you either fit in it really well or you don't. But people do tend to say that, yeah, this whole appearance base is even, you know, you give off a really amazing image of yourself. You look great, but then on the inside, it like kind of affects your self confidence as well because of how much your image is being controlled and you're being like inspected like like constantly yeah yeah like you're under a looking glass once i said that's it i'm never doing modeling again you know unless some very fun you know offers who take me as i as i come you know uh with my body and everything hair and i have tattoos and all that um then of course i've i've done one fun project this this summer because i'm back in my hometown and you know it was just fun but um yeah, once I once I said enough is enough, I I felt free, finally mm-hmm. free. It was very liberating. It mm-hmm. was very empowering. It was very it was wonderful actually. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but it was quite, quite hard to make that decision because I remember working in a hospital with kids in Inglaterra Hospital in London, and 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 like uh, co-workers coming up to me like and saying, oh why why are you here? You should be walking, you know, Victoria's Secret catwalks. Right. And in a way, it was like, how is that better than helping kids? Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's, it's, yeah. it's quite funny. And this kind of, um, this goes for how the society thinks these days, right? Yeah, we'll talk about that a bit later in the talk as well, right? Mm-hmm. So to continue on your question, why did I chose the career that I had today is uh, of course, because I had the eating disorder myself, and I saw many girls in the modeling mm-hmm. industries suffering with that, and I saw how little support there is, not only in Latvia and uh, which is Baltic states, and this and um, this side, but also in all Europe. There are horrible stories about France and everything that how little they understand of eating disorders, especially anorexia. The support that there was mainly focused on the eating aspect, which means that the sufferer is. Uh, forced to gain weight or yeah. lose in case of uh, binge eating disorder mm-hmm. without a- addressing the primary reason that creates difficulties around food, uh, which is the mental aspect of things, you know. Mm-hmm. So that kind of approach, uh, you know, they just eat, makes you eat and gain weight without addressing the psychology as- aspect. Mm-hmm. That kind of approach leads to endless relapses because the core issue has not been healed. Eating disorders do originate uh, in the mind. That, but that what creates uh, long-term results when you address the deeper issue. So my mantra for even for my own recovery is uh, once the mind's at peace, healthy eating comes naturally. Yeah. And that's like that's literally what I did. I really so, like your story. How it started as something super personal, which I can also relate to, and I think a yeah. lot of young girls can yeah. relate to that because mm-hmm. it is. When you're young, heartbreak, not feeling like you fit in, that feels like the end of the world to you. And then a way to get attention and to show how unhappy you are because your your parents, you might not feel comfortable talking to them about that or adults may not be able to see that. It's a way for you to get this relief and get it out. And But then it's self-damaging to yourself. And once you're older, I think that's when you are more aware of these things but mm-hmm. when you're young it is really hard to yeah to understand so yeah. i like how this started as something personal but how you've like grown from that and got out of it and want mm-hmm. to help other people as well with it what are the usual signs then that someone has an eating disorder and what are the most common types i would say that the first sign usually is obsession with food yeah. That goes for the whole spectrum of eating disorders because there are, you know, we could say there's anorexia, which is, we can also not call it the names because sometimes a lack of diagnosis shouldn't be a, like a, uh, something stopping you from looking for a support. When yeah. you mm-hmm. restrict your food too much and starve yourself, that's a problem. And then because of the starvation, you think about food all day long, all day, every day. The same goes for binge eating, the other spectrum, end of the spectrum, which is when you eat constantly or as soon as you feel uneasy, it's food, it's food, yeah. it's, mm-hmm. you sit down at the evening uh, by the TV, it's food all, all day long. That's also an obsession with food. 
So the first sign would be that you think about food much more than it's supposed to be in our days, right? Food is supposed to support our lives, right? It's, it's there to maintain us. Of course, it's lovely to enjoy it in a good restaurant and all that and make mm -hmm. a good meal. But other than that, you shouldn't think of food all day long, right? Yeah. Like, probably you share uh, that you have had some sort of experience with eating, so you can probably recall that. Like, it takes all up all of your thoughts, right? Yeah. What else there is left to think of? You can't be creative. There's no space for creativity. There's no space for mm -hmm. uh, professional growth. Sometimes, for many people, there's not even there's not even a space for a romantic relationship. Yeah. Because, mm -hmm. yeah. They feel like the, the thinking about this food stuff, uh, it's much more important. So, yeah, I would say obsession with food. And oftentimes it comes with a very low self-esteem. Um, of course, the obvious signs, which is binging, uh, starving, or even vomiting. Mm -hmm. Those are the signs, of course, if you have any of those in your, I would say, like daily or, or every other day, they're mm -hmm. very present. That's a sign there's an issue that needs to be addressed, there's a problem with food. Also, very low moods, some, like depressive symptoms, and very anxious thoughts, like in the uh, presence of anxiety, mm -hmm. can also be, um, of course, when, when connected with food rituals, it can be a sign that there's a problem. Mm -hmm. And another very interesting thing is that I would say 95% of my clients do have is uh, the common thread is um, perfectionism. Yeah. It's interesting, isn't it? Can you relate to that? Ed? Well, I actually, I had a phase in my life where I was a bit overweight. And then I wanted, actually it was with a bit of a heartbreak situation as well. And I kind of was like, I'm going to show him, I'm going to be so fit and skinny. And I lost a lot of weight very quickly because I'm a very all or nothing kind of person. Um, I wouldn't say I'm a perfectionist, but I'm just very, like, I go really into something or I don't really embark on it. Um, and so what I ended up doing is at some point I realized it was very unhealthy because I was trying to prove to myself that I could do things. Like, I could only eat set amount of calories. I could work out every single day. Um, that was like three years ago or something like that. And it became such a big part of my mind and people actually that I was living with they were saying you know you're eating just like four eggs in the morning like you're not really eating that much you're working out all the time like are you doing okay and in my mind I was like it's just because I'm better than them it's just because I know how to control myself and it's like yeah so that's kind you of what I have. mentioned a very important thing control yeah right yeah control yeah. like it's the top reason why we enter the eating sort of field at all. Yeah. It's like when life breaks apart and we cannot control things, right? Who loves us? Who doesn't love us? Who dumps us? Who, mm -hmm. Whether they take us uh, for that job or they don't, uncontrollable things happen. Yeah. And when we have like hard time accepting the change and the, you know, the diversity of life, that's when we turn to controlling behaviors. There are a lot of them, but eating sort is one of them. It's a very precisely said, and yeah, the feeling of I'm better because I can control this. Yeah. And it also gives like this very, it gives this, uh, I would say it, it is fake because it comes with a lot of anxiety, mm -hmm. uh, unreal sense of ease, like I'm at ease, right? But not really because I'm yeah. over controlling everything in my, on my plate, in, my, on, in the gym, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's, that's also, it answers actually to the question, a sign of, uh, uh, Eating disorders like over controlling things. Yeah. And the interesting mm -hmm. thing is what do Buddhist monks do all of their lives? They they meditate on acceptance of the change it changes in the world. So that is the big question. How do we accept everything that's changing around us, right? Mm -hmm. It's hard, it's not easy. I'm not saying I have an easy time with that, mm -hmm. but I don't do my I the eating sort of for that anymore. There is, you know, yeah. there are better things to do. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, I realize it in a lot of in a lot of friends and, you know, a lot of people when I was growing up, even now, I realize if I go on vacation with people, I realize that some people sit and they kind of look at, oh, what is she eating? Like, maybe I should eat the same thing or, you know, what is she doing? Maybe I should do the same thing. Or it's like, I feel like a lot of girls, especially, I know that a lot of men also have this issue. Um, mm -hmm. 
but I feel like it's been ingrained in us since we were quite young to be able to, we have to look a certain way and we have to be a certain way for us to be, you know, beautiful and loved in society. Um, but it's interesting because I realized that even though I don't think the same way about food anymore, I still find myself, if I'm sitting, you know, with, when I was, for example, with my ex-boyfriend, if he was eating something, and it was like a chocolate cake or like french fries i was like a bit still in my in my chest i was like hmm you know i really shouldn't eat that mm-hmm. and it's stuff like this but then i'm like you know it's fine i can and then i eat it anyways but it's like i think it keeps it stays with you for a long time it's a guilt feeling because just like anna i did the same thing yeah but i didn't do it because of a heartbreak or any reason to do with like body image i well, I wanted to just have a better body. So my goal was kind of just to like get fit, get toned. So therefore I was then controlling all of the calories that I was eating. And I also had very repetitive meals for a long period of time. And they stayed the same. They were bland. I restricted myself from going out and having like lunches, dinners with friends because I knew there would be nothing on the menu I could eat because I had to cook everything myself. Mm-hmm. Um, But then there came a point of doing that where I got the results that I wanted from my body and I looked the best I've ever looked in my entire life, but I wasn't happy at all and I felt like what was the point in doing this? So immediately when I decided to stop, this is when bad habits started because I stopped controlling myself and then I couldn't control all my cravings. So I started binge eating for that like the next three days when I stopped this strict diet. I ate like a full pizza, Ben and Jerry's ice cream, pasta, like everything you could imagine I I ate in like three days time, which is excessive. And I feel like when you restrict yourself so much, there's such control, it is almost like an eating disorder because when you come out of it, you have so much temptation because you're not allowing your body to, to have all these other foods. And then that was such an unhealthy combination of one extreme to the next for me. It definitely, thank you for sharing both of you. It's both of the stories actually do resemble a lot of significant signs of a real eating disorder. Mm-hmm. So this is what I mean. Just because you were never diagnosed with anything for to particular and you never actually went to a doctor like, Oh, you know, you know, I'm having a hard time with this, it doesn't mean that someone who might be listening to this and hearing like, Oh my god, I do the same thing and actually it feels oh. horrible as you described. It feel it, it doesn't feel nice, right? Mm. That shouldn't stop you from reaching out for help. This is an eating issue. That is an eating issue that you describe. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, absolutely. So what is the best way to help someone get over an eating disorder and have like a healthy relationship with food? That's the big question, isn't yeah. it? <laughs> Well, notoriously, in the psychiatry in general, eating disorders are the very hard to treat. Yeah. Um, I, 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 I always like to, uh, as you mentioned uh, previously, that it takes time to get rid of these thoughts, right? Mm-hmm. It's very normal. They probably are still present. Mm-hmm. Why is that? Because once you break that, like eating is the most natural like instinct we have. When a little baby is born, he doesn't know anything. He doesn't know how to you know, lift a hand like uh, where he wants it to lift. It's just left, you know. He doesn't know how to uh, go to bathroom. It just happens, right? He doesn't know how to talk. He doesn't even see the first few days or he sees upside down or very blurry. But what he, he will find is mom's boob because yeah. that's food. Like, he's helpless apart from that. And he'll ask for that. He'll ask for food. It's so... It's the most natural instinct we have to eat. Mm-hmm. So two things to break that habit of eating or habit or instinct of eating, it takes that much more than just wanting to look like a model. Yeah. Eating disorders are being very, you know, especially around anorexia, which is the most, the deadliest of all psychiatric illnesses, all mm-hmm. of them. Um, there is this naivety aura around it. Oh, you just wanna, it's just for girls, they wanna look like models and all this and that. It's not to break that instinct of eating, it takes a lot. As yeah. we've spoken before, it takes wanting to fit in as a young, young person, even needing attention, it's so natural. That's how kids survive. Kids are helpless, right? That's why most of the eating disorders are um, 
at a quite young age, however, in, later in life as well. Once we don't get that attention, once we don't get that acceptance in the crowd, it's like, in a way, that's a survival instinct kicking in. I need to fit in. How am I going to fit in? Oh, look, there are these girls on the internet. They all kind of look the same. They're thin and they're this and that. Well, everyone talks well about them. Everyone looks at the poster and they like them, right? Mm -hmm. Also, they look happy in the pictures. The models, mm -hmm. they look happy in the pictures. It seems like they're between friends. Well, if I look like that, people might accept me and I might, you know, be, fit in and I might find even as big as a word as love. So there's such yeah. a... Mm -hmm such a deep meaning behind every eating soda. It's not as shallow as it looks from the side, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. But it's true yeah. as well. I mean, I know that when I lost weight, I got a lot of attention from men, for example. Like, before I didn't really. And then when I lost weight, I got a lot of attention. I wasn't even really used to it, you know? And so it kind of does spur this mentality on as well because you're like oh you know they're starting to really like me they think i look really nice like girls are asking me for you know what i do what my workout is so it can be quite hard too because you know as we kind of want to go into society also is shaped in a certain way and you know it's trying we're trying as a whole community i feel to change that um but it's still very ingrained in us um it's very right um the, the, the compliments and the attention you, you receive afterwards, it mm -hmm. feeds the eating disorder. It, that's why it's, it's harder mm -hmm. and harder to let go. And to come back to the question you were asking in the first, uh, first place, mm -hmm. how to overcome an eating disorder, it takes time. First of all, no rush. Mm -hmm. Give yourself the time. Give yourself the space. Uh, there are some, like, some doctors that do, do give up on very severe patients. I don't, I think, but I definitely believe in everyone. I think you can, with the right support, you, you definitely can recover. Mm -hmm. In my work, what I do and what I've seen, so how did I came to the te techniques, what I do is from my personal experience. When I recovered, people, before I even graduated my first degree in psychology, people were approaching me like on questions, not about weight, mm -hmm. but about how do you, you look at peace? How mm -hmm. do you do that? There are questions coming, and I, uh, my family are artists and architects and all that. And um, I always thought I'm going to be an artist, but then these questions kept coming, and I, I thought, well, there's someone saying, like in the universe or whatever we call it, mm -hmm. that you you got something. I might as well try. So, so I, but then I like I continue exploring what helped me, what helps others, what like overlaps as by maybe being the best tools, and then I when I when I headed over to London to see what happens in some of the biggest hospitals, mm -hmm. I also saw that, to be honest, a lot of the old ways don't work. And my approach, which was just listening to the person, it really works. Because the crazy thing is, when we, a lot of professionals these days, when they meet an eating disorder patient, the, the first thing is, you're doing wrong. You are doing wrong. Yeah. It only puts fire to the, the first like the first thing that created eating disorder, the thought, I'm wrong, I don't fit in, that only like encourages that if the doctor says, you're wrong, we need to fix you because what you're doing is wrong. Mm -hmm. Because of my experience, and this comes back to how, how I help my clients get over the eating disorder, and I think we can even do that in our private lives with a friend that you might see that has an eating disorder, first thing is just listen to the person. Yeah. There's a reason why he does it. It's not stupid and it's not wrong. It's a coping mechanism. Mm -hmm. Because I've had the eating disorder, like I know that it's not just something you make up and you know, like, oh, this is cool. I'm not gonna eat or I'm gonna overeat or I'm gonna binge and then purge. It's, you know, it's fun. Mm -hmm. Oh, let me be sure it's not fun at all. Yeah, yeah. And those things that a recovery from anorexia kind of involves all of those things that I've just mentioned. It's very messy. My approach, what I tested in the hospitals, and then I realized I can really do this on my own because it works. First of all, just listen to the clients. Mm -hmm. Why? First of all, just like, why? What does this eating sort of help you with? Mm -hmm. And usually they they come. They're like, wow, someone actually cares. Yeah. Like someone finally, someone is not calling me wrong or trying to fix me immediately. Because you've been trying to fix yourself for ages with that eating disorder. Yeah. And there's another person trying to fix you. 
listen, just listen. And we don't listen to uh, young people, especially. We think like, uh, I, I worked in one of the hospitals that was uh, only uh, um, up until uh, age 18, underage people. Mm. Like, we have this notion that all teenagers are teenagers and they're in a way like, dumb or, or you know, that's just a phase. Mm. It's not, it's their story. I remember being in my intimacy and and remembering that, um, and grown-ups did tell me like, oh, this is so little compared to how hard is the grown-up life. Yeah. And I, I remember thinking at that time, I understand that being a grown-up is hard, but it's really, really hard for me right now where I am as well. Mm-hmm. And since then I keep, I remind myself that, that just because someone else has two legs cut off doesn't mean that your little finger being cut off doesn't hurt. It still hurts and yeah. it still needs attention, right? You mm-hmm. still need care. All pain matters. Everything exactly. matters. So just listen to the person listen to their life and sometimes interestingly we think it's so complicated it's not uh, well it is but <laughs> it is it, the, com- the complicated part starts when you need to change the, the ingrained notions as, as we just saw how hard it is to switch them once we've broken them mm-hmm. I, um, so even from the most severe uh, so when I was the most underweight uh, I recovered, recovered quite quickly from that stage, but then it took a lot of years to fix that relationship from to like a completely normal relationship food. But yeah, that that's the hardest part, I think, to change the pattern. But sometimes, as I said, the clients are my clients are very surprised, like just the pure listening and understanding because I've had it. And a lot of people feel a lot of shame around eating sort of. That's what I like. Uh, a lot of my clients are, when, on our first session, like, God forbid, no, tell no one who I am. Like, that's God without saying, you know, like, no one knows who my clients are. But they especially find that out because it's so shameful to talk about eating disorder because people are going to think you're, you know, a dumb girl that wants to look like a model. No, I've spoken to a wonderful, all of them are most, all of them are intelligent, powerful, strong women and men. I have many clients. I work with young boys in the, in the hospitals. Wonderful, powerful young men. Mm-hmm. And they too have an eating disorder. And one of the boys um, in the hospital, he explained very well the eating disorder, why he had it. He said, when you grow up from the teenager years and you kind of enter the phase when you need to choose things, there are so many varieties. And then you have to choose this and that. And it's overwhelming. And he said, at one point, he got so much that I decided if I only focus on this one thing, the food, um, that's all I have to think about. All other problems fade into the background. So you see, it's a coping mechanism. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, it's it's a dangerous and even life-threatening coping mechanism. So it needs to be replaced. So in my work, I use uh, psychology-based coping techniques because I do have a degree in psychology. Mm-hmm. Uh, mindfulness practices, a lot of mindfulness practices, mm-hmm. it's a lot about listening to yourself and accepting yourself as mm-hmm. well, um, and guided imagery and visualization, visual, visualization tools, which really mm-hmm. help to, for example, talk to the uh, trauma, traumatized part in you. Mm-hmm. A lot of times it needs to express what it felt at that time, and no one listened at a time. You know, it's powerful. For example, it's almost like going back to that child and asking a child or young person in you, we all have that part. I think girls, if you would think about it, you would like, you would probably find that part in you that carries a lot of, you know, um, and a little meditation helps you relax and find that part. It carries some pain. And the wonderful thing is how to heal that is to just like, hi, I see you. I hear you. Tell me about how you feel. And then, you know, just, just uh, extending some love to that part that had suffered so much. Mm-hmm. And uh, um, in my work with clients, this is a very moving process. You can see the healing happening at that point, like at that moment. And many clients, uh, we do this usually in uh, after quite a few sessions because you need to understand what's, who, what is that traumatized part. But oftentimes the clients come back the next week, they're like, I haven't done my behaviors a whole week. I don't need them anymore. That, that part that suffered, that used this eating disorder to numb, to forget, to suppress, to, uh, we sometimes use eating uh, uh, to enjoy ourselves actually, because when we 
uh, when we breastfeed from our mom when we we're very very uh, young, it's a very um, it's a very very loving uh, yeah. process. You're very close to mom, and it's like closeness, it's acceptance, it's you know. Mm -hmm. So we use that in later years as well, and and uh, so yeah, that's what we use the food for. But once we heal the part that needs this coping mechanism, you don't need it anymore. It's wonderful, and the, the client like. Okay, thanks, you know, bye. <laughs> we're, we're done for sessions, and it's wonderful. I always enjoy when you, uh, I, I'm all like, yes, you know, you don't need me anymore. That's wonderful, because yeah. like, that's what it's about. It's mm -hmm. not about me trying to keep the client forever. Why would I? Yeah. I want to help you and give you tools so you can, you know, move on to your life and enjoy it. So, mm -hmm. yeah, the, the way for me, the way to heal from an eating disorder is deep listening to yourself. Mm -hmm. And I'll and before you can do it on your own, and you can do it on your own, meditation and all that helps. I think everyone has some kind of trauma, and it might also be a little bit difficult to realize or pinpoint exactly what that is, which is where the covering up or having this unhealthy relationship with food comes from. But it also goes in, in stages, and I'm sure you've experienced it as well, but I've definitely had like really great relationships with food, and then really low points that I had to mm -hmm. always do with some kind of trauma from my life or some kind of unhappiness or loss of confidence and so it's really interesting to hear like a psychological perspective that the two actually go really close hand in hand mm -hmm. and eating food is supposed to be enjoyable you're supposed to mm -hmm. you know love what you eat and like love having a healthy mind healthy body it's going to make you a better person but getting to the heart of the trauma is really the core of how to actually then make that work for you. Most of the trauma is created in a young, at young ages. Mm -hmm. We experience some kind of um, something that shapes us. It's the complex mm -hmm. that will always fire up. And then later in life, it fires up by certain events. And that's when we, mm -hmm. we fall back, we fall back, we fall back. Until we heal that part and we, we show that part that was, you know, hurt or in the earlier years we show that hey we're in a you know we're in a safer place we're grown ups we're really taking care of ourselves even if if I suffer if I even if I experience this mistake I'm good with it. I know how to handle don't worry because the the it, it might sound a bit bizarre when you don't know the full picture and like the full psychological like background of it but it's it's actually yeah it's quite it's not simple but it it maybe it is. For me it seems like yeah, just deep listening what mm -hmm. happened and telling that part of you mm -hmm. that you're okay, I'm good today, you know, I'll know how to deal with this, mm -hmm. I don't need to go back into this behavior. Exactly. Right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. So how do we start promoting a more healthy relationship to food, especially, you know, if we, when we have children or if someone listening to this wants to, you know, start implementing this kind of positive behavior towards food in their family or with their friends? Like, how can we start having this conversation? Um, from, from experience, from one experience with my, I have a young client, uh, which that grew up in a family that constantly talked about diet. Oh, mm -hmm. actually I have a few clients like that. This is the youngest one because you asked about children and that's yeah. why she came from my, uh, she constantly heard her parents talking about um, how the people that lose weight are better and they mm. praise their friends oh you lost weight well done oh my god look at her she's gained weight that doesn't look good see these kind of comments even if your journey is you want to you know as a mom or lose the weight or whatever please do it in silence and also take care of yourself while you're doing this and you know um not in silence like per se not to talk about it but like young kids uh misinterpret the misinterpret these things these mm. words they they start to think like only way to you know and then something bad happens to to the person at school and like oh if i lose weight from what i've heard from my parents that might help me you know mm. and that's like when it goes this deep that's what it would, when it's when you've grown up with that it's it's so hard to change that actually it's like that's what you know that's mm. like that's the base mm. so yeah no, don't talk First thing regarding kids is probably not to talk about diet, diet, dieting around kids. Yeah. Also, you know, um, I think, for example, I really am kind of fed up with the whole food culture in the way that 
we think think about to go too much to take pictures of food. Okay, it's fine when you have a really cute meal and once in a while take a picture. Of course yeah. I do that. I like that as well. But, you know, but other than that, food is it's just food, right? As we said, it's lovely to enjoy it when you have it, but let's not make more of it as it is. It's just food, right? That support us and show that to our kids as well. That you know, it's lovely to eat. It's good to eat these things. Not to also not to um, overstress about. I think no junk foods, and then it becomes the forbidden food. Um, yeah. Also, very important is not to treat kids when they've done something good, oh, food, yeah. or mm -hmm. that oh you're feeling down. Here's a candy because that teaches them. If I feel down, food will help me. In a way, it will, because every chocolate gives us that, that boost. So mm -hmm. it also confirms that. So that can, uh, some of my clients do recall that they're in their childhood, they were treated with sweets and now they have a binging mm -hmm. problem. Yeah. Right? yeah, I've heard a lot uh, of stories like that too. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Also, in where I've grown up, I think, uh, I think it's in general in all Europe. The old school thinking that you need to finish a plate, which comes from the war times, I think, yeah. comes from that. Yes. Yeah. yeah, because, yeah, it's like finish a plate. Um, mm -hmm. It's actually very good for your kid to allow to develop his own appetite. And like once he won't finish the plate at all and he'll eat the full plate, you know, okay, the next time he'll eat more and, and soon enough he'll find his balance. You know, allow your kid to be, don't pressure him like, oh, you need to finish that plate. Yeah. Kid will eat. It is really difficult in families because I've heard both stories where parents feed their kids too much and say you have to eat everything on your plate to then the opposite because in my family, um, my parents, well my mom has quite a good relationship with food and so she wanted to raise us properly um, and when I was like between 8 and 11 years old I was a bit chubby I didn't have like an overweight problem but I was like a little bit of a chubbier kid and I didn't realize this and I didn't really have a problem with it I just knew I loved food I also loved sweets and ice cream and stuff like that and when my mom would like make dinner for us I would always like serve myself a second plate if I was still hungry I would eat until I wasn't hungry so if I was hungry I would serve myself again and after a little while my mom started saying okay you can only have one plate of food and I got a bit frustrated because I was like well I'm still hungry why can't I eat more and she didn't mean it in a bad way at all it was all in like a loving way but I think the fact of like that kind of restriction also um, then led to a point where a few years later I eventually started starving myself so I didn't eat anything no breakfast for lunch with friends I would have like a banana and for dinner I would come home and say like I just want a plate of salad and some tomatoes and I did that for a few years just to lose like more weight and I kept putting myself on the scale and as soon as I could see I've lost some weight I was mm -hmm. so You're proud yeah excited yeah. and happy so I had like a new goal of losing even more weight and that does start it could start really young but I mean, I'm also Absolutely. glad that I have family that understand that and wanted to bring that to my attention early on because similarly, when I was also restricting myself, my parents did say something, okay, you're losing too much weight now. Mm -hmm. And at the, at the end, then it's what's the good, right? Yeah, Maybe. it's finding the balance is the most difficult part because you can go on and off, but being stable is quite mm -hmm. a tricky one to find. What you just described that actually your, that the, 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 the restriction problem started so early for you previously in conversation you uh, you talked about how uh, how you binged after you allowed after you stopped mm -hmm. the restriction and at that point I wanted to say something and I just only just remembered it <laughs> is that it's very very normal to binge after you've been restricted first of all your mm -hmm. body probably is starving even though your body your your body might not be underweight. It might be on the way for him. Why is that different? It's yeah. some of us have more curves, and it's wonderful. I, I've had ages when I wanted to have more curves, but my body comes, you know, scandic looking. So it's like stickier. <laughs> <laughs> we have wonderful bodies all around the world, like that, yeah. like one acceptance, and you know, I think like what modeling industries are doing right now. In a way, they are. They're introducing more body types. That also helps with the cultural thing. But I, what, what I wanted to say about the binging after starving, it's normal for a little while. 
don't judge yourself for anyone listening that experiences that. As as long as you, you starve your body, you will binge. The first actually step to overcome a binging is look, do you eat enough calories during the day? Mm. Most of my most of my clients when I add this, oh yeah, I eat enough. I eat like uh, one thousand four hundred. That's what we thought, but that's normal. That's not normal. That's mm -hmm. under eating. That's constant under eating. Mm -hmm. One thousand four hundred calories is uh, it's low. It's for some people it's only the base rate. The base rate is if you if you would just lay in the bed, uh, just blinking your eyes and your organs working. That's what how much uh, approximately how much would you would burn or yeah. a bit less, but like so. Uh, that is under eating mm -hmm. if you eating just that and then you find some people can some people you know depending on their body type for some people that's fine and then they don't binge but if you know that you under eat throughout the day and you see yourself binging in the evening just check the calories and binge is normal after a period of starvation and it will end when your body will learn the binge will end this is a huge fear for a lot of people that restrict that if I stop um, restricting myself, I'll binge forever. No, I binged for a while, but it was only for as long as my body recovered. And also, the mind learned that food is going to be there. You also need to tell yourself. You know how we tell ourselves the eating sort of thought is like, um, um, I'm not allowed to have this chocolate. You know, mm -hmm. we've probably all thought of that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. So as long as you're going to say we are not allowed to have this chocolate, when we allow that little piece of the chocolate, our mind's going to be like, okay, eat as much as possible, yeah. because this is not allowed, right? Yeah. Interesting thing, I actually have an example of myself, once I was like done and dusted, I couldn't take this anymore, my uh, after anorexia phase of um, under eating throughout the day, binging in the evening, and the circle, the, the cycle all the long, after a few years, it was like, I just can't do this anymore, and I was like, I, I remember standing in my kitchen thinking, fine, I'm going to be fat, but that's what I thought. I'm gonna need. I'm but I'm gonna eat everything. I cannot stand this starving anymore or this binge, binge starve cycle. And at that point, I told myself, "That's it. I'm allowed to eat everything." And my favorite snack or the binge food was crisps. Mm -hmm. And I thought, I thought like, I'm gonna go to the shops. I'm gonna buy two packets of like the big packets, not the small ones you <laughs> get in the diet packages in, in England. Um, like a big potato chips, pack of chips, and I would eat like five of them. And as soon as I allowed myself that, it never happened. Because my mm -hmm. mind, I, I did went downstairs, I bought the, the crisps, I probably ate half of the packet. My mind knew, well, we're full now, I'm allowed to have that tomorrow, so I won't binge anymore. Like, I don't yeah. need to binge, mm -hmm. it's gonna be there tomorrow. And the day after that, mm -hmm. just giving yourself the permission, the food is gonna be there, might stop the binge, mm. you know. It's just a mind game. trial and error. Mm? Yeah. It is about changing your mindset. Yeah. Okay, so to end on a last personal question, what has been the most important lesson that you've learned in your career so far? The most important lesson for myself is the mantra I go about with my work mm -hmm. is when the mind is at peace, healthy eating comes naturally. Your body is very smart. It knows what it needs. It's the it's the trauma, it's the stress, and sometimes depression that interact, interrupts the dialogue. So that's the most important lesson that I learned. Once you resolve the mind, once you talk about it, don't keep it just with yourself. Like, talk to people. You don't even need to talk about it to a specialist. Just talk to people around you, someone you trust. Mm -hmm. I don't know, your husband, your brother, best friend, mm -hmm. girlfriend. And as also, what I learn more and more is that every like with every client I can learn a lot. It's even though like I do get tired over the week with my work, it's I'm so excited to get in with every conversation because in everyone can teach you something. Everyone. That's what makes each conversation wonderful. You girls have taught me something about you know, eating so that each conversation opens up something more and more and more. Mm -hmm. Talking, listening to each other. That's a wonderful thing, yeah. And I also, when sharing a personal story, is like, we feel like if we become vulnerable and open, people are gonna hurt us. No, we find peace, and we find friends, and we find closeness, because the more we're gonna act that, well, we are these, you know, perfect beings, 
someone is going to look at that and, you know, I'm, I'm not that perfect, I'm suffering. The more we're going to open up, like, you know, I've done shit in my life too, you know, but, you know, it's fine. Let's find the, the solution together. One of the things I do most in my work is I share my story as well. I do share with my clients all the, all the shitty aspects I've done in my recovery. It's ugly. Mm. It's not pretty. Wow. It's been, ugh. Mm. But when people hear that, oh, I'm not that wrong, you know, I'm just like, I'm just like you are. Yeah. We are, yeah. you know. I'm not alone. Yeah. It's the best thing right. when people share an experience that feels so close to your heart because you relate and you feel like you can put your trust in that person and that's what you want when you're seeing someone. Mm -hmm. Oh, that's really nice to like end on that positive yeah, note that you can note. like reach out to people and be open and it's not gonna, you know, nobody's gonna shoot you in the back. Everyone actually wants to help you. If anyone is interested in doing work on their, from their, from, for themselves at home, mm -hmm. there are some useful techniques you can anyone can do at home yeah. you can find them uh in my website i have a free support there oh, yeah. is about dialogue there's about meditation and there's about um how to talk with your body about uh, uh body image acceptance those oh, three things those three practices i've described in, in detail it's all free it's all there practice at home you know mm -hmm. especially during these challenging times of um the COVID situation all that People might not have the funds, you know, there are many uh, diversity of people listening, you know, you can start at home, absolutely, you know, and then, you know, when you see, when you, if you need more support, hit me up, you know. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Yeah. Thank you so much, Zane, for this really insightful conversation. I've learned so much and it was so, like, inspiring to be able to hear your really personal story and your transition from the modeling career into what you do now into having a healthier relationship with food with your mind with your body and loving yourself and also being in a really happy marriage with someone you met so young yeah. coming from this background of um like loss of confidence and now um feeling like you're really yourself and yeah, it was so nice to share our stories as well. Yeah. And for everyone yeah, thank listening, you for sharing. <laughs> yeah, no, of course. For everyone listening, you can look through our description and we'll put all of the details for Zane and you can check out her website and get free resources for yes. any like tactics and mantras if you feel like you need help and be sure to reach out to people if you feel like you need yeah. to to talk about things or you related to certain topics that we discussed um mm -hmm. people are here for you and you can always get reach help out. and yeah. reach out so yeah. yeah thank you again and i hope thank we speak you. to you soon yeah thank you so much girls for having me it was a pleasure to talk to you thank you so much